Hello, Rebecca Langley here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week I spoke with Trevor Torrens, who is helping set up a silicosis support network in Queensland to support workers who have been diagnosed with progressive massive fibrosis. Also this week, the International Trade Union Confederation released a report on their 2019 ITUC Global Rights Index. I'll give a summary and share some important stories with a focus on the Asia-Pacific region. But first, some union news. This week, the peak body for working people celebrated five decades since the 1969 landmark equal pay case. The case was brought by women union members in the public service and meat industry. The case abolished the right of employers to discriminate against women by paying them 25% less than men for performing the same work and laid the foundation for a 1972 case that mandated that women be paid 100% of the male wage. It was the first of a series of victories for working people on equal pay. But five decades on, the full-time gender pay gap is more than 14% and women are still fighting. The current rules are still weighted against working women, with only one successful equal pay case in the last 30 years. Recent efforts on behalf of early childhood workers have been frustrated by a requirement from courts for a suitable male comparator. Equal pay requires the federal government to amend the Fair Work Act, reverse penalty rate cuts and establish a dedicated pay equity panel in the Fair Work Commission. In comments to the Australian Financial Review this week, the Minister for Industrial Relations, Christian Porter, has made it clear that the goal of the Morrison government is to attack the internationally recognised right of working people to run their own unions and freely represent working people. The Minister has explicitly stated that the Ensuring Integrity Bill, or EI Bill, is specifically designed to give the Morrison government the power to deregister the CFMMEU and other unions. The EI Bill would give the Minister, employers or any other party with a sufficient interest the power to intervene in the running and work of unions, disqualify people from union leadership, block union mergers and deregister unions. The EI Bill adds to what is already a highly regulated union movement and goes further than any other Western democracy in intervening in union autonomy. Michelle O'Neill said, Let's be very clear. Mr Porter is seeking to revoke the basic rights of all working people in Australia to join, run and be represented by the union of their choice. Unions are democratic organisations and attacking them hurts all working people. This law will undermine workplace safety, increase wage and superannuation theft and make it harder for workers to get pay increases and be represented when they need help. The Lost Dogs Home is one of Australia's oldest animal shelters. The staff care about the work they are doing, looking after lost or starving animals. But behind the scenes, something much more sinister has been happening. 
staff stuck on a zombie agreement from 2006 have been denied penalty rates, locked into low wages and poor conditions. Ten months ago, some of the workers got together and said enough is enough. They called their union, joined and began signing up their colleagues. As staff joined in droves, management began to get worried. The union ran a survey uncovering massive issues, low morale and poor communication. Hundreds of staff signed a petition asking for management to meet them as the story was picked up by the media. Finally, management gave in and met with union delegates Fiona Martin, Amanda Smith and Angus Bell. They agreed to the union's demands for changes, including penalty rates from July 1st, and a new joint consultative committee for better communication between management and staff. Angus Bell, a delegate who fought hard for the changes, said, It's a big first step for the Lost Dogs Home, and will be a new collaborative approach by management to working with staff. These workers are on track to winning jobs they can count on. Well done to these dedicated Lost Dogs Home staff. A groundbreaking convention and recommendation to eliminate violence and harassment at work has been adopted overwhelmingly at the International Labour Organisation in Geneva on the organisation's 100th year anniversary. The two-year negotiations included unions, ILO member governments and employer organisations. ACTU representatives worked alongside union representatives from around the world on the convention that for the first time sets an international standard to prevent and eliminate violence and harassment at work. The convention places obligations on governments to develop national laws prohibiting workplace violence and on employers to take proactive steps to prevent violence and harassment. The Australian government voted for the convention and recommendation to eliminate violence and harassment at work. The ACTU calls on the Morrison government to ratify and fully implement the convention. We urgently need stronger powers for the Fair Work Commission, as well as work health and safety regulators and human rights commissions to proactively address violence, inequality and discrimination at work. This must include establishing a gender equality panel in the Fair Work Commission that would have the power to hear and determine sexual harassment and sex discrimination claims. This week, The Guardian reported that the death toll in a building collapse in Cambodia has risen to 24 people as hopes faded of finding any more survivors. Two days after the building in Sihanoukville collapsed, it emerged that three Chinese nationals and a local landowner involved in the construction had been detained while the incident was investigated. The unfinished seven-storey building collapsed early on Saturday on top of dozens of construction workers who slept each night on the second floor. The condominium was being built in the thriving seaside town, which has been transformed in recent years by a mainly Chinese-led building boom catering to tourists who flock to newly established casinos. Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Sen also visited the site late on Sunday. Pictures released by the provincial authorities showed him in front of the collapsed building talking to several government ministers involved in the rescue. At least 24 workers were injured in the collapse. One of them, Noor Chenduen, said he and his wife were sleeping when they heard a loud noise and felt the building vibrate then begin falling down. They were trapped for 12 hours before rescuers found them. The government's Labour Ministry said 30 workers were at the site when the building collapsed, but Noor Chenduen said there were about 
55 to 60 people inside the building. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. The Queensland Silicosis Support Network was launched over the weekend. I spoke with Trevor Torrens about the group and the importance of supporting workers and their families. The Silicosis Support Network in Queensland has been formed um, because of the re- uh, because of the emergence of dust-related lung diseases, um, commonly known as uh, silicosis. So whilst many of the workers have support through work colour, um, we believe that they need some social support as well. A lot of these uh, tradies who have got the uh, dust-related disease or silicosis, they're, they're quite demoralised. You know, some are in their 20s um, or, or a little bit older, but they've still got a working life in front of them. And they've been faced with a, a disease that's potentially killing them. So we're really mobilising um, a support service for them. Um, we'll also be able to refer them to relevant agencies such as, you know, psychologists, if they so desire, uh, financial support and other support services that will be able to help them. Yeah, and what kind of industries are these people working in? Well, look, um, primarily, or, or, or if not all, are in the engineered stone industry. So um, I can quote in Queensland that in September 2018, there were 12 cases that were referred to work cover for silicosis from two businesses. That's now up to close to 130. Wow. Um, people have now been diagnosed with silicosis, and unfortunately, 20 of those cases have been diagnosed with progressive massive fibrosis, of which there's no, no cure. Yeah. And this support group has stemmed from the asbestos support group, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm the general manager of the Asbestos Disease Support Society in Queensland. Our society, or this society, has been going for over 27 years and we've got a fairly rich history in assisting people who have asbestos-related diseases. We believe that we can also provide support to people who have been diagnosed with industrial-related disease, as I said, commonly known as silicosis. So we think there's a role for us to play. Uh, we think that uh, support groups are important. They work for uh, people with asbestos-related diseases, allows people to share experiences, enjoy the support and company of other members and, and really make connections with those who may be facing similar challenges. The society has a uh, full-time social worker who can also provide support. And as I said, to assist people with any referrals that may be required or just to be there for them. Yeah, and once somebody's been diagnosed with silicosis, are they limited in the work that they can do? Look, um, generally, yes. I wouldn't say 100%, but... Generally, if you've been diagnosed with silicosis, you wouldn't generally go back into that particular environment or that particular workplace. That being the case, these people have had their lives turned upside down. The difference between this and asbestos-related diseases, most people who who get diagnosed with an asbestos-related disease are at their end of their working life or indeed they finish their working life. With these people, they've got their whole working life in front of them. So a job that they may have been doing for many years, they can no longer do and they've been told that they have to retrain in something they may not be familiar with. So there's quite confronting um, consequences for them. And uh, some of this is very hard to take. And and I've um, had a number of calls from workers in the industry who are quite upset and, and frankly scared of what the future holds for them. 
And is this something that's causing changes in workplace safety and what's happening around that? Yeah, look, this is not a Queensland-based issue. This yeah. is an Australia-wide and an international issue. Yeah. Governments are mobilising now and unions to make sure that workplaces are safe. In Queensland, there's a code of practice being developed and I think other states are doing the same. Dry cutting's been banned and that's the problem. When you dry cut the engineered stone, commonly used in kitchens and bathrooms, it releases very, very fine dust, 90% silica, which lays in the bottom of the lungs and causes the devastating scarring. So, yes, they are mobilising to make sure that workplaces are safe, but once exposed, you can't take it back. Yeah. So, unfortunately, whilst they are mobilising now, it's the workers who have been affected that are the ones that we're trying to look after. How can people support these workers? Obviously, um, the Silicosis Support Network, uh, we're launching that on the Gold Coast uh, um, on Saturday the 22nd. Um, if people would like to make donations um, to support these um, organisations, they can contact the Asbestos Disease Support Society in Queensland. Yeah, and can you tell us just again about the launch? This is kind of the first step in getting feedback from the community about what their needs are. Yes, that's right. This is the first step in in asking people who have been diagnosed with silicosis what their social needs might might be. But I think the other important thing is that we'll be able to provide them with an avenue for any referrals they might need. Mm. Um, We don't have all the sources of, um, um, of help here. Um, but we do have connections uh, and very good connections with a, a lot of agencies that will be able to also provide support and help. Yeah, and I imagine that a lot of the people affected also have families. It must be so difficult for them as well. I think what's, what needs to be understood here is that um, you know, these people, all they did was go to work. They went to work to earn a living and to provide for their families. So one day they're working and the next day they've got a disease. So that's a big upheaval in their lives. They have families, they have young families. As I said, it's uh, different to asbestos-related disease where uh, many of those uh, people have have, uh, really finished their working life. These people have got their lives in front of them and they've been told they can no longer work in an industry where they may have worked for many, many, many years Mm. and they've been told to retrain. That's a very hard thing to contemplate, not just for you, but it's for your families and also your social um, network that sits outside of that family unit. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Trevor. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, look, not at all. Um, we're, uh, oh, well, we're just to say that we're here to help people if, um, um, if they so, so need it. Yeah, and um, so do you have a, a Facebook page or a website that people can get in touch? Look, at the, at the moment we're developing a website under the banner of Silicosis Support Network. It hasn't been launched yet. Yep. Um, but if they need to contact the Asbestos Disease Society, in Queensland, the number is one eight hundred seven seven six four one two. Yeah. But just keep looking at that site. We'll have links back to the silicosis support network in the not too distant future. Okay. Can you just give us that number again? Sure. It's one eight hundred seven seven six four one two. You're listening to Stick Together, Union News and Social Justice Issues on your local community radio station. We just heard from Trevor Torrens about the new Queensland Silicosis Support Network. Next, I'll give a summary of the International Trade Union Confederation's Global Rights Index report, which was released this week. 
Their report found that the breakdown of the social contract between workers, government and business has seen the number of countries which exclude workers from the right to establish or join a trade union increase from 92 in 2018 to 107 in 2019. All regions in the world had an increase in exclusions of workers, with the greatest increase occurring in Europe, where 50% of countries now exclude groups of workers from the law, up from 20% in 2018. Worldwide, more and more governments are complicit in facilitating labour exploitation or allowing the rule of law to be avoided because workers are forced to work in the informal sector of the economy. The sixth edition of the ITUC Global Rights Index ranks 145 countries on the degree of respect for workers' rights. Six-year trend data analysed in the 2019 Global Rights Index exposes the systematic attempts to undermine freedom and democracy. The ongoing attacks on the foundations of workplace democracy have seen the growth in low-wage insecure jobs. Authorities impeded the registration of unions in 59% of countries, with state repression of independent union activity in Argentina, Algeria, Egypt, India, Panama and Paraguay. The 10 worst countries for workers in 2019 are the following. Algeria, Bangladesh, Brazil, Colombia, Guatemala, Kazakhstan, the Philippines, Saudi Arabia, Turkey and Zimbabwe. Brazil and Zimbabwe are in the 10 worst countries for the first time with the adoption of regressive laws, violent repression of strikes and protests and threats and intimidation of union leaders. The Middle East and North Africa remains the world's worst region when it comes to fundamental rights at work. Egypt dissolved all independent labour unions and Saudi Arabia continues to keep millions of migrant workers trapped in modern slavery. Trade union members were killed in 10 countries Bangladesh, Brazil, Colombia, Guatemala, Honduras, Italy, Pakistan, the Philippines, Turkey and Zimbabwe. Workers were exposed to violence in 52 countries. Worldwide, 53 trade union members were killed in 2018. In Colombia alone, 34 were murdered. 54 countries denied or constrained freedom of speech and assembly. Shrinking democratic space was witnessed in Hong Kong, Mauritania, the Philippines and Turkey. Workers had no or restricted access to justice in 72% of countries, with severe cases reported in Cambodia, China, Iran and Zimbabwe. The number of countries where workers experienced arbitrary arrests and detention increased from 59 in 2018 to 64 in 2019. Mass arrests of workers were seen in China, India, Turkey and Vietnam. Trade unions are on the front lines in a struggle to claim democratic rights and freedoms from the corporate greed that has captured governments such that they act against workers' rights. This is a milk and sugar production. Thank you for your support. The Asia-Pacific region was the second worst region in the world for workers' rights. Physical violence against workers and trade unionists intensified dramatically. In Pakistan, Labour leader Abdul Khalik Sher was killed after attending a meeting with the power loom factory owner Muhammad Jamil on Gojrasamundri Road on 8th March 2018. 
The police reported that Jamil and Kalik exchanged harsh words after which the former, along with his accomplices Malik Amjad and Muhammad Tariq, shot dead Abdul Kalik Sher. Investigations are still ongoing at the time of writing. In the Philippines, violence against workers escalated with 10 assassinations in 2018. On 20th of October, nine striking sugarcane workers and members of the National Federation of Sugar Workers, Namasufa, were shot dead by an unknown group of men while occupying private land in Hacienda Nene to protest delays in land reform and calling for improvements to their living and working conditions. On the 31st of October, Danny Boy Bautista, a 31-year-old harvester and active Namasufa member, was shot four times by an unidentified gunman during strike action at Sumifru, a Japanese fruit exporting company. Strike actions were brutally repressed and severely punished by the governments of Bangladesh, Cambodia, India, Myanmar and Thailand. In Vietnam, 50,000 workers from the Puchen footwear factory in Tantau Industrial Zone in Ho Chi Minh City, the biggest economic hub in the Southeast Asian country, took to the streets to protest a bill creating new special economic zones on 10th and 9th of June 2018. Vietnamese security forces responded by dispersing the demonstration with tear gas and water cannons. 500 protesters were taken into custody and many were beaten up by the police in jail. In November 2018, the State Railway of Thailand, SRT, began enforcing its claim for 24 million baht, or US $730,000, in damages against the State Railway Union of Thailand, or SIUT and seven of its officials. The claim, which began in 2011, arose out of 2009 industrial action by SIUT, where workers protested against a railway accident that had killed seven workers. In many countries, including Bangladesh, Cambodia and Indonesia, union-busting measures were frequent and workers attempting to form a union were systematically dismissed. In China, Yasik Technology dismissed workers throughout the year when they tried to organise their own trade union. More than 40 workers were also arrested and accused of gathering a crowd to disturb social order. In the Asia-Pacific, 91% of countries exclude workers from the right to establish or join a trade union. 21 out of 22 countries in the Asia-Pacific violated the right to strike. And all 22 countries violated the right to collective bargaining. Bangladesh was amongst the world's 10 worst countries for workers. Workers in Bangladesh were exposed to mass dismissals, arrests, violence and state repression against peaceful protests. In the garment sector, strikes were often met with extreme brutality by police forces. 
On the 8th of January in 2019, Sumon Mia, a 22-year-old employee of Anlima Textile in the Kornopara area of Savar, was killed and another 50 injured after police fired rubber bullets and tear gas at around 5,000 protesting workers on the outskirts of Dhaka. The protests had begun after a reported 50,000 garment workers, many making clothes for international retailers, walked out of their factories demanding the implementation of the recent 51% government increase of the monthly minimum wage to 8,000 taka, or US $94. In February 2018, 12 leaders and members of the Garments Workers Trade Union Centre, GWTUC, were charged with attempted murder and vandalism after representatives of the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association, BGMEA, pressed criminal charges against them for their participation in a peaceful protest outside Ashiana Garments Industries in Dhaka. The charges were patently false. As of the 12 leaders charged, only three were actually present at the Ashiana protest, while two of them, the GWTUC, General Secretary and President, were not even in Dhaka at the time of the alleged events. The union believes that the real reason for the arrests was its leading role in the campaign to increase the minimum wage for garment workers. The Philippines was also amongst the 10 worst countries for workers, with workers and trade unionists facing violent attacks and intimidation. Protests were brutally repressed by police forces in an attempt by government forces to suppress political dissent, with martial law in Mindanao extended for the third time until the end of 2019, the threat of an escalation of violence and abuses grows. As mentioned, nine striking sugarcane workers were killed in October 2018. Among those killed were two minors and three women. Over the past year, authorities in the Philippines have repeatedly made public statements accusing Namasufa of being fronts for illegal armed groups. This attack came just before President Duterte made a statement on the 28th of October, stating that any further occupations of land by farmers should be dealt with harshly. He said, My order to the police is to shoot them. If they resist violently, shoot them. And if they die, I don't care. Thank you for your support. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening and thanks to Trevor Torrens for taking the time to speak with me. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 0394198377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Rebecca Langley. Catch you next